2: What's up? What's up, listeners? You're back on Conspiranormal with your host Adam Sane and your co-host
3: Luke Reed. Luke Reed. Well, what's going on, Luke? How you been, man?
2: I've been it's pretty been good. About a
3: week or so since uh, we last spoke on Conspiranormal.
2: Right. Yeah. I'm not just not in true life, but uh... just uh, being broke, man, and it sucks. You know, and I'm not the only one. Everybody else is pretty much feeling the the brunt yeah. of it too.
3: We're about to go off the fiscal fiscal cliff, so you know yeah whatever what's, what's that going to happen. <laughs> we're going to fall over. Yeah, uh, so understand that you were you're drinking some uh, some good old Tennessee moonshine. This I got weekend. some Mountain Dew straight from the foothills of Tennessee, right from the foothills of Tennessee. Oh yeah, Spencer. That stuff will knock you right on your butt. Yeah, apparently, I had a little bit. I had a little bit earlier. Had yeah, a little was, sample. Uh, yeah, a little sample. <laughs> it was pretty strong. I got to tell you. Let's
2: just say after after about a pint the other night, I, I just passed out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I kind of noticed something because uh, kind of listened to some of the older shows, and uh, I just noticed how like it's it's kind of like the downward spiral of Luke. It starts out with you talking about you know partying and then losing your house and then living in your car. And, yeah, and then the DUI last week. And right, yeah,
2: <laughs> it is a downward spiral. And you know, I, I used to used to be a manager. Used to make pretty good money. Of course, I hated my job, so I still don't really regret leaving there that much. Uh, being trapped inside all day, ten to seven, eleven to seven every day, or selling blinds, selling selling mini blinds. Yeah, I uh, mean, but you know. Like I said on the on the bright side, I still did have a couple days off a week, so it wasn't that bad. And I had enough money to 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 do things all the time. Like I had bought all my friends, right? All of the supplies to party and all of that, and I had money for nice clothes, and I had uh, fine women around, you know. So, <laughs> well,
3: you know, that's uh, it's kind of the downside of working.
2: You yeah. got all that stuff, but you got to deal with the job. Y- yeah, I mean, it, so. and it sucked, but. Uh, And money is important,
3: (laughs) but you know that's why I, uh, that's why I that's why I do something. Try to do something like this, you know. Makes you break something to do, break break up the monotony, right? Do do something. I'm at least you know passionate about. Uh, Chris is not here tonight. He had some other things that he had to go do. He's kind of got to go look for a house to stay in. He's kind
2: of got to go to Kragnacker's.
3: Yeah, that's probably where he's going to end up. <laughs> he's probably going to end up at the bar with, with, his, with his Python. Uh, but uh, I just, uh, you know, we had a great guest last week. And, uh, you know, we didn't get too much time to talk about it. we got a little bit of time now. I just kind of wanted to get your ideas, some of the stuff that you uh, you seemed pretty impressed by our guest Scotty Roberts yeah. last
2: week. Yeah, he's great. And uh, like I said on the last show, he just... He makes the Bible so interesting, you know. I mean not that it's not that it's not interesting on its own. It's sure. just he gives you the context for everything. He gives you uh other other scripture from surrounding cultures and stuff that also have relevance to the story, the yeah. stories in the Bible that he's talking about and you know all the stuff about Moses and and everything. But I never read anything about Moses, so I had no clue. But uh I mean, yeah, it's it's good stuff.
3: Yeah, he has a theory, and um, you know, one of the things I was going to say um, is that it, it, it's. I've often thought about how Moses, um, you know, because we know in the in the book of Exodus that he was raised in the Pharaoh's court. Of course, we don't get a lot of that. Um, we you know we don't we don't hear a lot about it. It's just kind of mentioned, and then it, you know it fast forwards along. But um, <clears throat> you know, I've often wondered how much. You know, for the first at least 40 years of the guy's life, he was influenced by the Egyptian, ancient Egypt. So, you know, what the connections were uh, right. with that, I've often wondered.
2: And uh, and something that I noticed is uh, I, I was studying that pendant that Heather posted on uh, Facebook that Nobody time. knows
3: who Heather is, but hello, Heather.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah right. Because I know she's going to listen. Yeah, she probably will listen. So, she's, really, she's kind of part of the show, too. But, anyway... She she posted a picture of like an appraisal pendant, and I went to look it up, and then Uh learned a little bit about uh, masonry and and uh, the building of the temple, you know, and and through the mason perspective and talking about uh, all the ritual things involved, and uh, they have a heavy Egyptian influence in some of the stuff that I read talking about. Uh, I can't even remember. <laughs> I can't even remember now. I just remember well, the uh, I think, Egyptians. I think Egyptian one of the points, in.
3: one of the points I made, uh, was that, you know, it seems like the Ark of the Covenant, uh, seems like something that was, um, <clears throat> that is taken from an ancient Egyptian motif. There's been some uh, carvings that were done in Egypt that look to things very similar to, to the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. So, uh, it was a very interesting interview. Uh, I'm. I'm hope we're gonna have him back on when he gets the reptilian book out, which I think will be interesting. I think we kind of covered some of that. Uh, we didn't cover as much Nephilim as I thought we were going to. Yeah. But uh, that's kind of how the show is. We always stray off topic. Yeah, <laughs> we stray right. off topic all the time. Yeah. That's that's how the show is. You know, we get to. Uh, we just get to talking about certain things, and uh, you know, I, I let the guests go ahead and just talk about basically what they want to talk Take about. Take it away. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the point. It's a conversational style and to look, to hear the the guests speak cuz nobody wants to hear us
2: speak. We just got to face it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we have interesting things to say sometimes. Right.
3: <laughs> but I think it's kind of, you know, uh I want to talk about um after the guest is over just kind of briefly um <clears throat> kind of briefly tonight kind of look at, you know, who we had on before. And none but just necessarily anything that you so be thinking about anything that you uh found particularly interesting through the course of the show over right. the last year that we've been doing it, we've been doing it since uh, I believe March, yeah, and you know from Doctor Future on anything that you found interesting, anything that anybody said you found interesting, just right. be thinking about that we'll we'll talk about that briefly uh at the end but uh tonight we have we're gonna have on uh uh, a gentleman that uh, <clears throat> is a good friend of Dr. Future, who was our first guest. Uh, he was actually <laughs> Dr. Future's 7th t- uh, grade math teacher, I believe. And uh, he's coming on. His name is Robert Hyde. And uh, he's someone that's got a lot of interesting ideas. And I think that he, uh, in, in some ways, is kind of like Scotty Roberts in that he is... Uh, he, he you know, is of Christian bent, but he kind of follows what he, what how he thinks, uh, that he thinks that everything through instead of so just kind of uh, accepting everything. Yeah. So
2: blind acceptance. I think
3: that that will be. Uh, I think this will be an interesting interview. So if there's anything you want to add, we'll just uh, go ahead and go on to the guest.
2: Yep. Let's get to it.
3: All right. All right. Let's uh, go on to uh, Mr. Robert Hyde, and we'll be back on Conspiranormal. Okay, we are back on Conspiranormal. This is your host, Adam Sane. Co-host. You already know who I am. Luke Reed. <laughs> All right, well, we have on the line Mr. Robert Hyde. He is a, uh, it's a good friend of mine and also a very good friend of Dr. Futures. And as I mentioned before, he was uh, Dr. Futures' uh, I believe, 7th grade math teacher, I believe, Robert?
4: Yeah, something like that. Uh, well, no, actually, I had him first, I guess, in ninth grade. Algebra. Uh Uh-huh.
3: Okay. So, yeah, you and and he go way back.
4: That's right. So,
3: Robert, uh, I just want to kind of start off with uh, you telling the audience about uh, who you are, kind of your background, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there.
4: Okay. Uh, I've been a teacher about half my life, Uh, taught uh, in both private and public schools, mostly at the high school level. Uh, occasionally at the college or the junior high level. Uh, Lots of math, lots of history, a variety of other subjects, you know, as the opportunity arises. Uh, Done some study in the Bible, and uh, so that's what I've done about half my life. The other half my life I've uh, spent uh, either being a student or being a computer programmer or uh, running a family business, that sort of thing, so... I bounced around a little bit here and there, uh, nothing real special. Uh, Robert,
3: you are, um, I would say, kind of the uh, the the mufti of the uh, <laughs> of the Futurian clan, as uh, <laughs> as fans of Futurequake, uh, yeah, such as I, kinda I am. Like,
4: I kind of like that. I'm not sure I deserve it, but yeah, <laughs> I, that's kind of what I am.
3: Well, I remember you saying in Branson one time when we when we were there that you looked like a mufti. So.
4: Yeah,
3: I think that's it. Um uh, well, I just wanted to bring you on tonight. Uh you know, kind of we're finishing out the year here because this will be our last show before uh the new year. And uh I just wanted to kind of bring you on cuz I I I I consider you someone that has a great deal of wisdom mm-hmm. and that uh that that knows a lot about history and uh the Bible uh about uh you know, kind of uh, the human condition in a way, and also uh-huh. the the government of the United States, uh, and how <clears throat> some of the things that are going on now today, uh, how that affects uh, Christianity. Uh-huh. And I kind of wanted to get your feelings about everything that's kind of going on now. I know that you and Dr. Future, uh, you guys started going out to the, um, I believe you went to one of the conferences with Alex Jones,
4: Right. The 9/11 yeah, really Truth Conference. Uh, can I, uh, can I read your mind here a little bit? Yeah. I'm going to read your mind and say uh, probably somewhere here, you're going to want me to do some kind of a year-end prediction thing, aren't you?
3: Yeah. It's at some point.
4: <laughs> I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but I just, I just thought I'd test, test out my powers here. <laughs> yeah. See if, see if I've read you right.
3: Well, I believe that there's somewhat. Um, You know, uh, Dr. Future and I, we've had many conversations and uh, you are someone that I believe kind of went on the journey with him as far as looking at uh, things that our government has done, uh, that our intelligence agencies have done um, and how some of those things are not really accepted by the mainstream as being factual or true. Right. And, uh, I just want to kind of get an idea of kind of your own personal journey uh, on with that.
4: Okay, uh you know there's a lot of ways we could go with that. We could talk about uh we could talk about the national security state and uh right. Some things I've I've looked at there, or we could talk about uh we could talk about uh conspiracies that have occurred or we could talk about uh some kind of paranormal type of aspects. How do you want to? How do you want to go at this?
3: Um, I'd say let's talk about kind of those conspiracy things first. Okay. Uh, some of the things that you have studied. Uh, what stands out in your mind, and how it kind of relates to um, everything that's going on today, and and also how uh, the, the church, as someone that, as, as someone of the church, mm-hmm. how how that that you feel. Um, Things like the police state, uh, increased surveillance, uh, false flag terror attacks, how the church either um, sweeps those under the rug or doesn't really like to speak to talk about them.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's say it this way. I remember, you know, we can start at a classic point. I was about 13 years old when President Kennedy was shot in Dallas. And uh, like anybody who will who will tell you, you remember exactly where you were, exactly what you were doing in those days, and uh, and I remember the whole the whole run through of it, and I, I remember how we were all told, you know, the official story, and I remember how people questioned that a little bit at the beginning, but it all kind of got covered up with the Warren Commission, and uh, and essentially what the uh, what the establishment did was. Uh, they, they basically gave you the, the soothing cover story, that it was a long nut, and then they let it hang that maybe there was some kind of a little rumor that maybe the Russians had done it, you know, some, some Cuban agent, or, you know, maybe Oswald was paid by the Russians or something like that. But that was as far as it went. Right. And uh, and uh, both of those things really are just, you know, two versions of the cover story. And I got interested, I, I never really let it totally rest, I was always interested in it because I loved current events, but uh, it probably was, you know, might have been 15 years or, or so after that, that I really started kind of digging around in it, and, and some things got uh, exposed, and I remember realizing that I that I knew that the press had lied to us, Uh and and this came back to me on something I was watching on YouTube just the other night. I can't remember, but who the who the author of the YouTube was. But he was showing how the press plants certain memes in your head when these stories unfold, and he was showing how they set the whole thing up on 9/11, and uh, how they how they would just feed in these so-called expert reports or these man-in-the-street reports that would tell you that it was uh, Osama bin Laden, that it was Muslim terrorists, you know, yada, 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 and how this was, you know, a a total press feed, and you could tell that it was. And I remembered that, uh, that the very first press feed that came out of Dallas was that three shots were fired. That was that was the very first thing that came across uh, Associated Press or UPI, whoever that report, famous reporter was, and they they f- focused that thing on uh, that it was three shots, not more, three shots, because that was necessary to uh, to box in, uh, you know, that it was Lee Harvey Oswald. So I went back and thought about that, and I thought, you know, this idea that the press is working with somebody to f- feed us a line that's really there. I I, right. I really see that it's there, and uh, so at any rate, back in the back in the sixties and seventies when I was uh, in high school and college, most of us who were conservative, you know, had a healthy uh, disrespect for the press. Uh, we doubted that we were getting the full story from the press at any one time. But uh, I have lived long enough now to see that uh, that the problem is not just with the press. Uh, it goes into a problem in the church. And uh, I don't know if I want to move into that quite yet, if you want to talk about the press a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely have some opinions on the subject.
3: Um, it seems to me, too, um, you know, uh, you, you mentioned the Kennedy assassination, and uh, the press always seems to come out with the official story. Uh, right. Quite after the fact. And I've, I've seen it now, all the things that I've studied, nine eleven, Oklahoma City, uh, and the Kennedy assassination was exactly the same way. And I had often, yeah. often wondered it. Of course, you know, I, I was born way after it, but Right. You know. Or as, how
4: about uh, how about Osama bin Laden getting yeah. killed? You know? the, the raid right. on Osama bin Laden. Right. 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 It,
3: it, it was. Um, it seems to me that the, uh, you know, the Kennedy assassination was much the same way, and I believe I told you this before, but there was uh, there was a documentary on that is just shows. Uh, it doesn't have any narration. It just shows raw footage from the day of the assassination and a couple of days after. And one of the scenes that they – one of the films that they show is 30 minutes after the assassination. It's about roughly 30 to 40 minutes. There's this couple, and they're like two little boys, and they're in the Dallas uh, newsroom, okay, and I believe that it's probably not too far to go from where Dealey Plaza, where they were, to the Dallas newsroom. And they're sitting there talking to the, uh, the newscaster. And he's uh-huh. asking them, you know, where did you hear the shots coming from? And they say right there on the air. This goes over live on Dallas TV. Oh, we heard it right behind us from the fence. Uh-huh. 30 or 40 minutes after
4: the assassination. Right. So the press you know, definitely uh- plays a role. I think it's Fletcher Prouty, I'm not sure that talks about the fact that the the best information that you get about an event is in the first few minutes, yes, before the cover story can be fully put in place. I think that's true absolutely
2: uh some- something that uh that got me thinking about just now is uh the incident in Florida where the guy got his face eaten off that was supposedly on uh, bath salts. Uh, I I don't know if there's really anything to it but the first time I heard the news story uh, they were saying that the very first story said that he was on a new type of LSD alright and then the second story that I was hearing was that he was on uh, pills like Xanax or something and then the third story that came out I heard was bath salts so three different stories I heard
3: that story changed like three or four different times yeah (laughs) right but to, to go on kind of with the conspiracy thing, um, what, what, uh, what in your mind kind of clinched it for you as far as like 9-11? What, uh, <clears throat> that there was something
4: untowards going on there? <clears throat> what, uh, what clinched it to me about 9-11 was when Doc Future and I went out to uh, Alec Jones's conference in 2006 in Los Angeles because there we were presented with very first-hand information from guys who had studied it. Up until that time, it was just a suspicion or a theory in the back of my mind. All I knew is that something didn't add up. I remember on the day of, the, of 9-11, I was a teaching school at that time, and we heard about it at school, and I, I got hold of a television and put it in my classroom, and we watched the coverage the whole day, and uh, and I remember at that time I knew something was strange. I knew we had turned a corner, but yeah. I really I really couldn't put my finger on on you know what had happened or have any kind of theory as to what had gone down. And it really was a it was a long time before I you know understood that there was plenty of evidence that 9/11 was an inside job. To which now. You know, there's no doubt in my mind. The only question is who was on the inside, and I don't know who that was.
3: Right, who it would have been.
4: Yeah, but it was an inside job. I just don't know who was in there. Um,
3: Robert, how do you believe, as, as someone that has spent a good deal of his life in the church, um, how do you see that the church, that the normal everyday Christian, how do you see that that uh, that they deal with those kind of things, or do you think they just pretty much buy you know like kind of the mainstream
4: propaganda? Uh, you know most most of us are pretty average. In fact, all of us are pretty average, and we have other things to do in our lives besides uh, you know watch the news and so forth. And so mostly, you know, people just kind of take it as it comes. Sure. They they hear about things. They hear the story. They believe what they're told. Uh, it's nothing more sinister than that, uh, and I would say that's that's a whole lot of of what the phenomenon is. It's not. It's not even that uh, the people are being you know willfully blind or anything like that. <clears throat> it's just they're they're preoccupied with their everyday life, and uh, so you know this is like somewhere down on their priority list. Uh, the, this, but there's a second thing, and that is uh, the church. In my view, and I, I'm speaking particularly about the American church. I don't know too much about what's going on in Europe, but the American church, and primarily the Protestant church, of which I know more than I do, you know, about the Roman Catholic. But the American Protestant church um, is predisposed to believe. What their authorities tell them, and they believe. Especially, they like to believe what the government tells them. And so, there is a tendency, you know, the first, second, third choice is to believe whatever it is the government tells you. That's that's a that's a standard American Protestant reaction. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say that. Um, just to kind of. You know, f-
3: flesh that out a little bit. Um, I believe one of the things that happens a lot is that uh, kind of the the right wing evangelical support of of war. Um, you know, it seems to me uh, that that's that that's a, that's that's kind of a base contradiction of kind of the root of Christianity, which is something that extols peace. Um, you know, we seem to have this. Uh, very evangelical attitude that that war is somehow that we, but we fight these just and, and proper wars. Uh-huh. And I just kind of would like to know kind of what, how
4: you think that maybe the
3: root of that would be.
4: Yeah. I've got a, I've got a theory on that. <clears throat> I think of one of the places where, you know, the Protestant uh, tradition and Protestant theology has its roots in the Protestant Reformation that uh kicked in roughly five hundred years ago, and uh one of the things that the uh that was a result of the Protestant Reformation was seeing uh, a Christian experience as more or less of an ethical experience you know of uh being being the right people at the right time or doing the right things, however that might be and there was a real downplay of uh, anything that was, you know, what you might call offbeat. It, the the, the, uh, the Protestant Reformation was very strong on believing that it had to have the answers to everything. And they really felt like they did. And so their idea was that they understood about governing authorities and that the, the first and last word is, you know, you're just supposed to do whatever the governor tells you. And... uh and that kind of settled it. And uh, they put this all in a kind of a legal and moral framework that was satisfying. But the Bible, when I read it, tells me that, although, yeah, that, that that's nice stuff, the Bible doesn't uh, put rose-colored glasses on it. It tells me that, by and large, the world is run by evil powers. And uh, so you kind of got to watch out for these guys. And you need to be on your guard. And... Uh, Yeah, sometimes you do what they tell you, you know, for safety's sake or, you know, or whatever. But this doesn't mean that these guys are good guys. It doesn't mean that they're trustworthy guys. It means you have to figure out some way of getting along with them. And that's quite a different, that's quite a different mindset than just being gullible all the time and saying, well, whatever they tell me to do, I got to do it. Right. That's, that's one place where I'd start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think see, I might have lost your train of thought a little bit there,
3: Adam. Oh, so no problem, no problem. Uh, no, I just wanted to, uh, you, you know, it seems like every, when we get into a war, we seem to have this idea in this country that we're always on the right side, that there's nothing that uh, we do that is that is wrong. And let me revise that a little bit, because I think uh-huh. Vietnam... Uh, we started to kind of see that, you know, the, the government uh, and the military wasn't exactly taking us down the right road. But it seems that we have gotten away from that in the last, let's say, 40 years to where right. now we seem to have, even with the war in Afghanistan that seemingly draw, you know, you know, draws on and on and on and on, it seems that we still have this idea, in especially in the evangelical base, of <clears throat> that we should support the war, we should support, we should support our troops and all that, all that kind of thing. But there's no real questioning of of how, uh, of why that we're over there are, you know, what's going on that made us be over there. It's just like things seem to exist in a vacuum. Yeah.
4: Yeah. What do you make of that?
3: I make of it that people just don't understand history. Uh Uh-huh. But at the same time, I I see as far as if we're talking specifically about kind of the the right-wing, you know, evangelical, uh, normal person out there. As you said before, they don't necessarily follow the news as maybe as much as they probably should mm-hmm. uh, because they do have to deal everybody does have to deal with life but uh you know, I think that maybe people just don't look at what they're supposed to what they're supposed to about why uh and as someone that like me you know being so into, into history, people seem to deny. That there was you know something historical going on that caused us to be over there. Yeah, are the
2: reasons for it? It seems like to me too. uh, The negativity of the truth often is too much for a lot of people to bear. Handle, so they turn to just choose. uh, They choose to turn the other way.
4: Right. Yeah. uh, You know, if you go back and study uh, the Protestant Church in America historically. in the, in, there has always been an anti-war contingent, and there has been a pro-war contingent, and they exist side by side. But over the course of history, they tend, you know, every generation or so, they kind of divide off. And if you're, if you're kind of a peace-oriented type of person, you will join some little offshoot group. You might become a Quaker you might become a Mennonite, you might become an Amish, you might be uh, become a Jehovah's Witness, you might, you might go off in, in that direction. And, and if you tend to be more pro-war and you're pro-status quo, then you stay you know, in a status quo church. And so what this means is that if you and I attend or we grew up in a status quo type of church, we're going to just naturally be around people that they're, they're good with war for, you know, for whatever reason they've rationalized it in their own mind. And, uh, you know, they've made their decisions and they, they can't see, you know, too much wrong with war, especially if you can do it in the other guy's backyard, you know?
3: Yeah.
4: So that's, that's the, the mentality. It, it's a drift. You know, I hate to say it. It's, that's such a prosaic explanation, but it, it really is. It seems to me like that's what goes
3: on. Well, it seems that we, you know, appeals to God have been made so so much in in our in our wars and history, um, it, like um, for instance, uh, Battle hymn of the Republic, right? You know these these things that just you know we're we're going to destroy our enemy with the faith of with our faith in God. Praise mm-hmm. the Lord! Pass the ammunition, right? and it just it and, and I but I think especially since the 1980s with the rise of the kind of the when the Republican Party really started to you know kind of co-opt the evangelicals as a way to right. get relec- elected and mm-hmm. then it just cul it just culminated under Bush under right. you know the second Bush mm-hmm. and to where that you know because because Bush was a Christian Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it was okay what he was doing. And, of course, you had phrases out there that were bandied around like crusade and, and these kind of things. Um, and it, it just seemed like people just, you know, that they just couldn't see beyond their political viewpoint as well as to, 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 how, to what was really going on over, you know, in Iraq or in Afghanistan. Of what we were doing over there,
4: yeah, yeah, I see it that way too. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where we go with all that. Uh, you know, I talk to people people who are, oh, let's say, over the age of forty, and they've been Christians for a long time. Yeah. They have so much emotional investment in their past. And their support of war and so forth. Uh, I think it's 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 very difficult for them to to do any kind of fresh thinking. Uh, people that are younger, you know, anybody who is like 30 or younger, maybe even 35 or younger, uh, they're much more they're much more open and and probably more aware, and they they've got a little bit higher energy level and. And they still got a good a good level of curiosity and they're still asking questions and uh they they will re-examine things but
3: plus Robert, I think um in in some of the um evangelical leadership uh, some of the older guy the older guard, if you want to call it that uh there's still this cold war mentality hmm there's still this very much that you know even though the Soviet Union has been gone for twenty years. Right. Uh, we still need to go defeat the godless communists, mm-hmm. and so that's been just translated over to the godless uh, terrorists. Uh, you know, instead of Muslim, instead of communists, it's Islamo fascists. Yeah, you know, don't as, you as like that co- term? Yeah, as as it's the coin is termed. Yeah, and and so uh, there's a lot of that still hanging around in that old guard of that kind of Cold War mentality.
4: Yeah, and you know what's interesting to me is these guys with this old cold war mentality don't realize how how gosh what's the word I want to use how crazy they how crazy they were even then.
3: Yeah.
4: What I mean is this, if if you will if you go back and and study it out, you will find that Eisenhower who was famously a coal warrior, was working very hard to reduce the arms race. And he was working very hard to come to terms with the Soviet Union because he knew that a lot of the propaganda that we were getting was propaganda. And he knew that the Soviet Union was not the threat that it was made out to be. And he was fighting the military-industrial complex. And when you go to his successor, John Kennedy, you find that John Kennedy, probably from the very beginning, actually, but at any rate, a year or two into his presidency, he was really making efforts to come to terms with the Soviet Union. And this was not a betrayal. It wasn't like, uh, you know, we're going to give up, you know, land or or anything like this, it was that they actually knew that there was a way to get through to the Soviet leadership and there was a way to get through behind them to the Russian people and that they could reduce tensions and reduce the risk of war. But these guys were treated like, you know, they were some kind of practically traitors, you know. Uh, Anybody who who believed in peaceful coexistence was just naive and so forth. And moving it up to You know, when I was more politically aware in the Reagan days, uh, Republicans do not like to admit, but William Buckley does admit, that uh, Reagan went into that, into office with the intention of stopping a nuclear war. He, He had no intention of pushing any buttons, he thought it was terrible that the president was supposed to react on command and push the button and kill fifty, hundred million people on somebody say so, and so he was working all through his administration. His idea of peace through strength really was, you know, it was a it was a high principle. He was trying to reduce nuclear tensions and he did succeed, but but uh, the Republican establishment and the military-industrial complex never picked that up from Reagan. And neither did the church. And this is, this is interesting to me because it, it tells me, wow, we really have this uh, pro-war mentality, you know, amongst, uh, you know, Christian people. So, wow, it's tough.
3: Yeah, it's difficult to get your head around. And, and I think um, uh, some of the reason that, uh, that some people uh, reject the church or leave the church. I think has has a lot of reasons to do with some of those attitudes.
4: Um, yeah, oh yeah. And you know what? I would say. I would say absolutely, absolutely leave the church. Leave it. Leave it. <laughs> okay? uh, it's not gonna. It's not gonna change. You know, if you know Jesus before you leave the church, you're gonna know Jesus after you leave the church, right? Right. Right. I mean. What's, you know, the church is a nice place for folks to get, get together if it's a nice place for folks to get together. But what's that got to do with Jesus? You know, very little. So, yeah. And, and I would also say if somebody's, you know, is looking for a spiritual experience, they're looking, you know, they're trying to, they're, they're trying to find out some things. Is Jesus real? Can you, can you get in touch with him and so forth? Oh, man, the church is the last place you ought to go
3: church is the last place. i want to that's very interesting
2: I'd have to <laughs> any,
3: any feedback on there luke
4: yeah luke, what do you think uh,
2: I'd, I'd have to totally agree um if you if uh, our, our listeners who've heard our past shows uh know that i condone psychedelics pretty heavily uh-huh. as uh in, you know including marijuana i wouldn't really call that a psychedelic but um, uh-huh. as gateways to kind of Open your mind to uh, not necessarily a higher ascended form of thinking, but but just a different way of thinking. Yeah, I hear you. Um, and and that to me, it, along with uh, you know, I, I did some research on ayahuasca after Doctor Future was talking to us about it, and mm-hmm. uh, and that seems like something I'd really love to try because. You know that seems more like a.
4: <laughs> hey, have you run? That, have you run by that by, by Doctor Future yet?
2: <laughs> I don't think he's told Doctor Future that. Okay, no, no, uh, no, no. Uh,
4: if Doctor Future is listening in on this podcast, then your cover is blown. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, he, he,
2: he he kind of had the opposite effect by telling me all that than what he was going
3: for. <laughs> Luke is speaking solely for himself, Robert.
2: I, you know,
4: know that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I didn't say that he actually condoned it, but, uh, you know, he got me interested in it anyway, and I did some more research on it. Uh, that's
3: great. <laughs> Backfired. Uh, but, um,
2: but, yeah, like I said, a, a different, just a different way of thinking. And uh, to me, to, to get a, a spiritual experience, that would be the best way to do it and the best place to start. As my brother put it, you know, he he did a few years of research. He's been on the show too, and uh, and he experimented with shrooms and stuff like that. And he says that it kind of advances uh, the amount of meditation that it would take to get your your mind to the same status, if that makes sense.
4: It well, it does. But I'd like for you to explain it uh, a little bit. Let me and 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 I'll just I'll lay just one card on the table of mine. You know, I've never I've never smoked marijuana, and I, and I don't, you know, do any of that kind of good stuff, but I really do enjoy uh, smoking a, a pipe of tobacco, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I find that it, it, uh, is a, it is certainly a mood-altering substance. It allows me to think more slowly, and, you know, and as long as I'm sitting in a chair or just relaxing where I can do that, it allows me to think more slowly. It allows me to take the time to form my thoughts better. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that that has been my that has been my experience. Somebody says, "Well, you know, it's a mood altering drug." I say, "Yeah, you know, uh, all foods alter your moods one way or the other." But but yeah, I agree it is. But I, I would be curious, you know, if you could give me some details about your you know your thoughts on on how you know your your moods or your thoughts are uh, altered or improved.
2: Well, uh, I'm sure you know about the different types of brain waves, the alpha, beta, theta right. brain waves. Right. And uh, I believe that it's theta is the calmed, relaxed state of thinking.
4: I think that's right.
2: And um, so it sounds like to me that not only the nicotine, but other things in the tobacco, chemically, I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, are causing your brain to kind of move into that theta stage and give mm-hmm. you a more relaxed state of thinking. And uh, marijuana uh, is just a little bit more potent Uh uh-huh um i i have a different reaction with it than a lot of other people it's really strange but uh you know i've I've been using it since i was about 14 15 years old and at my my uh, last house that i was living in i would have some get-togethers and stuff and we'd all be sitting around smoking and a lot of other people it was a downer for them they would just you know stare at the floor and Uh, They wouldn't talk very much and all of this, and my mind was exploding with creative thoughts and Uh uh, patterns and colors and just uh, all of these just crazy ideas and interest in everything. And then, you know, further, I researched a little bit more about the mind and how it works and everything, and then realized that that may have to do with myself having a little bit of a negative dopamine release than most other people.
4: Okay. Well, let me ask you this let's uh you know this is a this is a conspiranormal show, right so okay. so we can go some ways <laughs> uh, do you think uh, you know in your experience so far or in your conversations with people, do you believe that you're having an internal mental experience, or are you able to have some kind of flow with external entities is this is this purely an internal you know I don't want to use the word imaginary c- right. because that has the wrong connotations because it could be very real. But yeah. is this basically an internal experience or do you feel like you're connecting with something outside or beyond yourself? I,
2: I would have to ride the fence on that. I can't really say either black or white because in, in this case it is both. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in my mind, I kind of see the world uh, to be esoteric anyway, like the, most uh-huh. of the things – most of the things I look at in nature, you trees, rocks, just whatever I see, buildings, uh, I always kind of have this other uh, viewpoint that is always esoteric in the things that I look at. So uh, I'm constantly analyzing it from that perspective as well, as, a, as just a, the practical, logical perspective. Oh, uh, you I think he went out. Robert? You there?
4: Yeah.
2: We lost you there. Yeah, we lost you for a second.
4: Oh, Okay, I'm sorry. I was. <laughs>
3: asking. It was. A, it was. It was. the NSA again. They do this yeah, all the time. Hey,
4: they. they it, it's. Hey, it's legal. It's legal in Washington, but it isn't in Kentucky and Tennessee. Yet. Yeah, You're that's not, right. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> it, it's all. It's always when Luke's talking about drugs, too. I, I, <laughs> I know, they, you can tell. You know, we're checking their reaction time. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, we can all play this game, right? You know, it's like you know, if they if, if they're if they're watching us, we're watching them, right? That's right. <laughs>
3: uh,
4: so I yeah. was asking, I was a- asking Luke the question if uh, if he could give a little detail on, uh, you know, you know, possibly you know, the the alterations of consciousness that he experiences, what what he's picked up from it, as specifically as he would care to be.
2: Right, yeah, and I was saying that uh, it kind of – I had to give some backstory on kind of the way that I perceived the world in the first place. and Right. And that's where I was saying that I kind of look at everything from mm-hmm. um, constantly analyzing it from a spiritual perspective as well as just practical, logical, uh, mm-hmm. everyday things. So uh, – um, so, the the weed is something that I wouldn't even I wouldn't even consider a drug. I just consider it kind of uh, a social. Uh, it, it gives me a boost, you know. It gives me a creative right. boost mainly more than anything. A creative, a creative high. Okay. Um, right. And you know I'm I'm not averse to trying something like shrooms or like I said ayahuasca or DMT in the future. Uh, just under careful, you know, consider uh, careful. Uh, just just to be careful when I, I'm not getting yeah, the supervision, word supervision right supervision yeah su- supervision yeah, yeah it always helps right. to have someone uh, there with you making sure everything goes okay and uh to yeah. do a lot to do your research ahead of time and I think that it's yeah. safe
4: don't necessarily get into it while you're flying a plane or something yeah right okay
3: well since we're on the topic of of <laughs> spiritual things um All right. One of the things we talk about a lot, Robert, I kind of want to cover this before we go into kind of a more broader approach, but uh, one of the things that we have talked about a lot on this show, uh, we've, had, we've had a couple of um, guys that, uh, one's named Bill Bean, another gentleman named uh, Tim Yancey, they have had uh, haunting, like extreme haunting experiences, Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we're not just talking about like something going bump in the night. We're talking about like uh, slammed against yeah, walls. Yeah, yeah, slammed against rooms. walls. Some serious yeah. serious psychological harassment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had uh, we've also had the Tennessee Wraith Chasers on that are a ghost hunting group here that are actually uh, that are actually Christian guys. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that we so one of the things that we've talked about a lot is ghosts. Right. and uh you know possibly you know being also demonic hauntings too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have an interesting take I think about ghosts. Like you don't uh, you don't you don't preclude the possibility. Could you kind of go into a little bit of that? Yeah. Um uh, Yeah. Um uh,
4: I've never I've never seen a ghost that I know of, but uh <clears throat> I have felt the presence of people uh, who have gone on. And uh, so, you know, in terms of my own personal experience, you know, it's limited, but I I believe that it is real. Uh, One of the things that has helped me in this is uh, what I would call, uh, I would call Anglican theology. Uh, and I may be overstepping myself here. You know, it might be some Anglican listen to this and say, no, no, no. <laughs> but but I don't I don't mean it in an ugly way. But but uh, I have noticed that among some Anglican writers, and I'm thinking of Charles Williams, and C.S. Lewis, and uh, J.B. Phillips. Uh, these guys are understand some things about how people pass from this life to the next, and, and the existence of discarnated spirits uh, that are not in, uh, you know, what a Protestant at least would call heaven, and they're not in what a Protestant at least would call hell. Sure. They're somewhere, and they're really there. And, and I was really encouraged when I read that, and then I started reading back through uh, Christian history, And, you know, throughout most of Christian history, there's been a whole lot more of an awareness of uh, all kinds of spiritual things, whether you're talking about uh, afterlife or you're talking about hauntings and ghosts or you're talking about uh, angels or devils or powers or things like that. Uh, We live in a time when a lot of that's been shut down. It's been shut down for a couple of reasons. Uh, Scientifically... Uh, modern science has uh, gone in a very materialistic way modern science in general tries to deny any kind of non-material existence if you can you if you can weigh it it is real
3: right Kind of the scientific the scientific approach
4: hello oh, we lost him again Idea that there would be something that is neutral. Hey, Robert,
3: we lost you for a little bit.
4: Oh, <laughs> Again. Gosh, I wonder what the story is. I don't know. And the NSA—they don't want us just talking about drugs. They—they want—they don't want to talk about the afterlife or anything, do they?
3: Yeah, no, I don't think they do. They're hackers. are
4: working on <laughs> shutting you down. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, t- tell me where I left
3: off. Uh you—you—you were, you were, you started talking about uh, about the kind of the. Uh, the Anglican uh,
4: perspective. Yeah, did I get through to C.S. Lewis and so forth? You did get through C.S. Lewis. Okay, and and the and the fact that they're they're open to the idea that uh, both good and neutral aspects of spirituality exist. You know, right. uh, you know, there really are ghosts and angels and and uh, departed spirits, and you know, and this is not a bad thing. It just fact of life and uh but that's really that is when you start talking like that boy you are really up against it if you're talking in 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 typical american protestant christian community they would go whoa you know yeah. you you're talking about the occult that would be yeah. the immediate yeah would be the immediate thing so yeah
3: uh one of the things that we uh <laughs> I, you and i were at a conference together yes and you we went to uh see this uh person speak at this conference mm-hmm. uh actually we didn't plan to go in there together but you you were there uh mm-hmm. I, and this person had uh, was talking about the the rise in, in ghost hunting popularity ghost hunting shows and his whole premise was just that everything was d- demonic there was nothing, uh, there was just no, no line in the sand there. Mm-hmm. Just everything that was the, the, in that supernatural realm was basically demonic.
4: Yeah.
3: Uh, I remember you walking out of there. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I stayed, and during the question and answer session, this um, lady is, is talking about this uh, 15-year-old girl at her church and she says that the girl's mother had passed away okay okay and the girl had apparently been having these experiences where she was seeing her mother uh-huh what those experiences were i can going to tell you because they didn't go too far deep into that mm-hmm. uh then the lady proceeds to say that they were trying to tell her it was all demonic and I just really felt I can tell you I feel, felt really bad for that girl because uh-huh. here's this girl who lost her mother uh-huh. a traumatic experience she's trying to deal with it the best way she can
4: mm-hmm. and
3: she's got the people at her church that are trying to comfort her when she tells them these stories that are they're supposed to be there to comfort her are right. telling her, "Well, it's just a demon."
4: Uh huh. And yeah, This like seems they, to be the like they know what they're talking about.
3: Yeah, th- this mm-hmm. seems to be uh, not just something that's in th- specific to that case, mm-hmm. but it seems to be a, a wide-ranging um, issue of just to just to look at things and say, "Oh, it's just a
4: demon Right. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's absolutely. It's a theological prejudice. Uh you know I, I I don't necessarily want to get into theology really heavily here but but I might as well you know essentially what you have after the after the Protestant Reformation is a a drift back to uh people really did not believe in the activity of the Holy Spirit okay uh the way they resolved the Holy Spirit was they said well yeah he is present between the covers of your Bible. And and that's about as spiritual as it gets. And they don't really want to talk about anything spiritual, but if you do talk about something spiritual, the the definite presumption is it must be evil. Yeah. There cannot be anything neutral or good about it.
3: Robert, do you believe that that's something that comes from the Puritan uh, I background? I think, yeah.
4: It didn't start with them, you know, they, they picked up on an idea, but, but they made matters worse. Yeah, I think so.
3: I want to say, um, this, and we, you, we, we get kind of swapping emails back and forth, uh, with this, uh, you know, to get ready for this podcast and Mm -hmm. you'd written this, which I thought was, was very profound. Um, oh hey that's me well, that's my email right. and I kind of want you to if you could to kind of expound on it because right. uh, I'm very curious uh, you said you know, I'd also like to raise the subject why most Christians and especially evangelical types avoid serious study of the supernatural at all and how this plays into the ignorance and confusion that we're facing today and why what they like to call spiritual warfare that's in quotations
4: mm-hmm. is going
3: to pass from their hands
4: Mhm. Yeah, uh yeah, I know what I, I was thinking about that. Uh I was sitting on a park bench with a a young guy. He's a he was kind of a drifter sort of guy. And uh and we were having a great conversation and I was reading a good book and he was reading a good book and uh, his book uh was was subtitled something what science says about the afterlife. And yeah. uh, he was not a Christian or anything, uh, just a kind of a nice guy. And I asked him, uh, you know, what he was reading, and he told me, he said, I really like this book. He says, I'm reading it for the second time. And uh, so I just popped the question. I said, uh, do you, <clears throat> I said, have you had any personal experiences of the afterlife? And he says, no, he hasn't. And I said, well, I have. Would you like to hear a few? You know, because I just decided to make a little conversation there. And so I got him talking, and the. Uh, And it turns out, you know, that his no, he hadn't had an experience, was just a polite no. It was a you-go-first type of no. And because he had had an experience, he had had an experience of where um, his father, whom he had not met, uh, he hadn't seen him for 10 years, and he was estranged from his father. When he was a teenager, uh, he had the experience that his father appeared to him in a dream at night and told him he was leaving. And, uh, and gave him you know some instructional words know told him some things and and that was the dream. and he kind of thought m- maybe his father had died and two days later he found out that he had and that was the day in which his father had died. So you know, here you go with a story about you know let's yeah, let's talk about the afterlife. you know people do have experiences one way or the other. but uh, I noticed at the time I thought now, I could get into a conversation with this guy about the about the afterlife real naturally but I wouldn't I could never do that uh, in an ordinary uh, Bible-believing church service hmm. uh, I couldn't get into that probably couldn't get into that very easily in like a Sunday school class or any kind of an official churchy type of thing because you know and I bet you couldn't either. I mean, I mean, let's just say no. it would be difficult, wouldn't it? It would be difficult.
3: Yeah, well, Doctor Future and Tom Bonnet go to my church, so I don't know.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there, yeah, you've got an unfair advantage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, but but uh, there is, I, I think there is a theological reason, and I hate to say this, but you know, let's just get it out in the open. Uh, the church has really taught that. Uh, there is a total parting of the ways at the moment of death and that some people go to a really great everlasting heaven and some people go straight to a real terrible everlasting hell. And, and uh, usually, you know, because people are trying to win souls for Christ and, and so forth, they will really emphasize, you know, the horrors and the pains of hell which I'm not trying to, you know, unsay or anything, but, but they really get vivid about that. And uh, nobody really talks too much about heaven and uh, or any other place or anything. And so people have this vivid consciousness about hell. It's, it's easy to imagine, you know, hot burning fire and striking matches and all that kind of stuff. And... Uh, and on the other hand you know these people have been taught a theology which says you know well some people are chosen and most people are not and there's a narrow way and there's a broad way and so they start doing the math and they start saying well you know if you know only 10% of the 10% of the people are saved or something like that or 5% or whatever and all that you know then Chances are, you know, down deep inside, you know, I might be going to hell at the end of all this anyway. So, with that kind of idea in people's minds, they really, they have a strong subconscious urge not to talk about the afterlife.
3: Yeah. Interesting. Really. And and the spiritual warfare... That you mentioned, uh, that that how the the evangelical church um, is going to pass from their hands.
4: Uh huh. What do you mean by by that? Uh, it's going to people who deny experience when experiences are happening. The, their their control their participation is going to pass from their hands to the people who are actually exploring and having experiences that contradict what they think that's really what I mean yeah. you know verse you know if you have certain specific experiences okay again you know for a fact that certain things are true then somebody else comes and Denies that, you just, you know, you're just not going to listen to them. Right. And uh, so uh, I guess what I'm, you know, I'm really hinting at uh, is I think among young people, both uh, people who are already Christians and people who are not yet, you know, or, or people who may be a long time, uh, if they are willing to explore these areas, they will find some things. They will find some interesting things. They'll they'll begin to develop some experience. They'll begin to develop some understanding and knowledge. They'll begin to know what it is they're talking about and what they're interested in, and uh, the conversation will pass into their hands.
3: Right. It's kind of an empower uh, of an empowerment of the of the young. Yes, way. it goes back to mm-hmm. what we were saying. Uh, right. Kind of how there is a, there is a divide. Uh, yes between kind of the old that old cold war of evangelical christianity and the and the younger people that are you know i think more much in many ways much more spiritually based right um uh, robert i I'd love to ask you about your own uh personal experiences like the that the supernatural things that have happened to you
4: <laughs> oh no <laughs> maybe we'll have to maybe we'll have to have a second have to have a second session on that. I'll think about that a little. Bit. Okay, <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you this much uh, uh, in uh, in my own personal conversion experiences, and even before I was converted, uh, I had some I had some very, extremely strong sense of intuition and awareness uh, <clears throat> at those times. I would go back and, and say I had some I had some key awarenesses uh as early as about the age of four or five. And uh you know, I, I won't push I won't push that too far. Uh I a lot of my a lot of my experience is second hand. I've met a lot of people because I've been a teacher and a pastor for a long time, and so people tend to tell you their stories a little bit. And you can judge of people and what their stories are, and uh you know people have shared some things uh, with me that you know make it make it clear some things are going on but i, I won't I won't get into the details there except to say i'm I am very confident uh, you know that there is a lot of interesting fascinating, and beneficial spiritual experience to be had and uh and a lot of people are avoiding that, which
3: I yeah. think is a shame. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I do, I do too. Um, I, I think that the the, the the church, um, we, we, we spoke about this with Bill Bean, um, mm-hmm. who you actually got the opportunity to meet up there in Louisville. Right. And uh, he uh, has some of the same things that he, you know, that he went, those things that he went through, uh, the horrible experience that he went through. And later on, kind of getting into the whole, uh, UFO, uh, phenomenon too, Um, Mm -hmm. to where he feels that, you know, now that that's, that that's a demonic thing, but, uh, you know, he gets that kind of, uh, it, it doesn't really speak too much, too much in churches, because it seems that he's not as well accepted in the church
1: mm-hmm. that
3: he would go to, but he will be speaking at these paranormal conferences, where you got you know ghost hunters and and people uh-huh. you know doing tarot card readings and psychics all around and aura. Mm. <laughs> you know, you, you were right. there. You saw what was going right. on. Sure. And, yeah. and but it seems like so. It, it seems just to me this is so odd that that, that the church denies. Uh, just kind of sweeps that under the rug, uh, so to speak. When, if you read the book of, if you read the Gospels, Jesus is casting um, demons left and right. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of spiritual stuff going on. Right. But, you know, here's someone like Bill Bean, he goes to this, and, you know, he, he's more accepted in that paranormal community than he is in the community that he really wants to be, he really is a part of.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hey, that uh, that reminds me, you know. Now you just brought up that three-letter word UFO, yeah, and uh, it, that is, is something that you know I would love to talk to you a little bit about in some future program because I think that's something that uh, is 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 um, related somewhat. I don't want to say real closely related, but it we- is related somewhat. And uh, it's worth a lot of exploration. And I know, uh, you know, Doc Future has done some, you know, some research in that area himself. Well, we got and some time, Robert. If you want to talk about it, we we can kind of touch on it a little bit. No, no, I'm trying to I'm trying to get you to invite me to to come back on your show. With I got gotcha. you. So we
3: we can we could do the UFO and all the supernatural, more supernatural yeah, stuff. Look, is there like anything that. that you want to
2: ask? Uh, I did have a question a minute ago. Uh, okay. I forgot what it is, so go ahead until I think about it. <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> well, Robert, uh, I was—we talked a little bit about, or we kind of—we we, kind of mentioned the police state a little earlier, uh-huh. and uh, I know that's something that you've you've spoken about before, and I feel like myself that that's something that's you know, but people say, you know, I hear Alex Jones or, uh, some other conspiracy people talk about, well, we're going into a police state. We're going into, you know, full scale tyranny. And to me, I feel like we're already there.
4: Yeah. I, uh, I'm somewhere between you and Alex on that. Uh, yeah, I think we are already there. I think we've been there for quite a while, but I think he's right. It is going to get worse. And, uh, I was just thinking, you know, one of the one of the things that concerns me is uh, <clears throat> we have no mental defenses against it. Yeah. As a you know, as an as a, as American people, uh, I was reading something uh, by Richard Feynman, the Nobel Prize-winning physicist, and uh, you know he was totally a mathematical science physics-oriented guy. To the to the point that he he absolutely he found no place for religion he found no place for spirituality he found no place for miracles anything like that uh, but, but at the end of his life he says he was worried about the fact the possibility of thought control yeah and he capitalized those words i mean he he really he meant that as a concept a distinct concept and he was afraid that we were moving in the direction of thought control. And I'm thinking very good. I'm glad that you are aware of this, you know, and you know, he had been the victim actually of some manipulation and thought control when he was a grad student. So, I was glad he noticed that. However, you know, given his scientific paradigm, there's there is really no deep understanding even of what thought is. There is not a deep understanding of control, uh, of of what thought control would be. And so if you don't really know what thought control is or why it would be bad, how are you going to have any kind of defenses up against it? And uh, it was like, man, it's pretty late for you to start thinking about that kind of stuff. And I feel like uh, in this country, we, we don't have our defenses up. Against thought control, we we don't think we just don't think about it. Uh, it, it just you know we think well you know I'm I'm going to watch what's on TV tonight. I'm going to watch the game. I'm going to watch yeah. the movies. I'm going to you know do whatever. So what what do I need to worry about thought control? And you're going uh, do, do you realize what you're doing? Do you do you understand why you're doing it? You know they they've got you you know. They're appealing to something in you, and anyway, that's what I think about thought control. I think uh, I think we have no defenses, really, no mental defenses against the police state. Okay, have been, have I, go have ahead. I
2: mentioned on here before, Adam, about uh, the documentary I was watching about the magnetic experiments uh, with the helmets they were putting on the subjects' head and, and changing the course of their emotions and stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. you. Did I mention that? Maybe, possibly.
4: Tell me a little bit about
2: it, Luke. Well, uh, I was flipping through channels one night and uh, come across this documentary. Uh, it was a uh, scientist researching the magnetic influence on the on the brain. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Electromagnetic, and uh, they had these special helmets that they made up for all of these different controlled su- test sub- subjects in their laboratory, and they were putting the um, helmets on them. Well, well. first of all, they were testing their morality on these uh, quizzes that had questions about, you know, if you found money on the street, would you pick it up and try to find who it belonged to, or would you keep it? Just simple questions about morality like that, you know. And uh, they... Eh, you lost him.
3: We lost him again?
2: Yeah.
4: Hello. Hey. Yeah. We, uh... We got cut off right at the point where Luke was saying uh, he was asking. The, he was talking about how they would ask them questions, and uh, they might ask them a question like, "If you saw money on the street, would you pick it up?" And that's right at the point where it was cut off.
2: Right. Okay. So they're giving them these quizzes on morality at first, and all of them, uh, they all choose to do the right thing on all of their questions for the most part. You know, uh, they, had, uh-huh. they had about ten different people that they were trying it on. And um, so they gave him the same test again afterward with the the electromagnetic helmet on, and it was just triggering the, uh, I guess it's the medulla of of the brain. I'm not sure the exact center of the brain that it was sending, like, small electric shocks into, but I I think that's right, the cerebrum or the medulla or something like that. All right. And um, so after they put the helmet on him, it coerced them to make uh the Im- immoral decisions on the same quiz the second time uh, uh-huh. well i don't know th- maybe it wasn't the same quiz they mixed up the questions or something like that or just uh, switched them switch the test out with different people but but the point is uh the second time around they did not score as well so it, that just to me showed that they could use uh you know, that, that specific technology had to be really close to your brain. It was a helmet that had to be, you know, an inch away from it or something. Mm-hmm. But if, if that's a possibility that, you know, in the next few years, something broadcasted as an electromagnetic frequency is uh, kind of a scary possibility.
4: Sure is, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Is basically what they
3: did was they changed the, their morals. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Basically what they and, did. And all through electromagnetism.
4: Yeah. This is, this is kind of a silly question, but uh, <clears throat> did they change them temporarily while the helmet was on or did they did it have an after effect and started to affect them permanently? Do you know
2: No, it didn't affect them uh, permanently in the test. They only they, it was they while, made... while they were under the influence in other words Right. they had to be they were wear, all wearing the helmet when they took the test the second round. Okay. And when it was off, it uh, didn't. It just seemed to go back to normal.
4: Okay. Hmm. Hadn't heard about that one.
2: Yeah, I'm sure if I do a little bit of digging, I can uh, find it. Maybe uh, give our listeners a link to it or something like that.
3: There's, there's so much out there like that. One of the things that we've talked about, Robert, before is that we've talked about mind control. Uh huh. Which is a subject that uh, I found I find particularly interesting because I think there's a ton of it out there, mm-hmm. either active or passive. Right. And as uh, you were talking about uh, uh, Richard Feynman and the you know the kind of the thought control that was going on. Hmm. I, I really, uh, I, I really find it concerning though that people uh, just kind of accept what is going on with like the, the the kind of the police state mentality. Uh, You have a lot of police that seem to get that are out there that seem to get away with a lot of, a lot of different things and a lot of terrible things. So I think that people just kind of tend to accept that as being some kind of uh, as just being, that's just the way it is. It's never going to change.
4: Yeah. Uh, You know, I've been wondering what, what can be done to help reverse that i know for example you know there are a lot of there are a lot of good cops there are a lot of good law enforcement people out there yeah. and so what seems to be happening is they're slowly being drifted and marginalized and uh, and they're seeing things moving in a direction that they themselves personally don't like and don't necessarily want to participate in but i i don't know exactly how that's going to be handled, except to say, I think that individual people who who are people, you know, with some un- energy and goodwill probably need to uh, expend some of that in helping clean up the act of the people that are in their profession. It's like, you know, if I'm a teacher and I see issues in my teaching profession and with my fellow teachers, I probably need to be pretty forthright in addressing it yeah. instead of you know dealing with all the issues maybe in the wider world and uh, you know if we had some cops that had some really good will and and they saw what's going on in their profession and start to speak up against it and tell these guys you know you guys are you guys are screwing it up for all of us you're gonna you're gonna behave in such a way that the people are going to rebel against you and uh, we're all going to be hurting for it. That's, that's what's on my mind.
3: And on that note, Robert, um, uh, just, you know, something to, uh, to, to think about. Uh, about kind of where, you know, at the end of 2012 now and we're going into, you know, Obama's second term We've got a lot of things about to happen, like the, you know, Obamacare is mm-hmm. going to kick in. We've got this whole fiscal cliff thing that everybody's talking about right now uh-huh. as we record this in, on December 10th, 2012. Um, as a nation, where do you think that, uh, you know, and I posed this question to Andrew Hoffman as well when we had him on. Where do you think that, you know, that we're going to be, say, like 10, 20 years?
4: Ooh, man, I don't know. It's, it's a big one. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know where we're gonna be in one year. What did Andrew say?
3: He said that uh, he seemed to think th- th- that that uh, things would gradually just kind of get worse. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
2: That's that, long that long by long, like
3: long. in twenty years, that you know maybe the United States would kind of uh, fall apart into like kind of different separate regions.
2: It's really hard to tell because a, a, a natural disaster or something like that, civil unrest, you know, things like that that are unexpected could happen and completely change the course. Sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, so it's it's so hard to predict. There's yeah. always
4: something that can
3: happen.
2: Right.
4: Uh You know, uh you, you you look at these guys who are controlling the the situation and uh you know, let's just call them the controllers. They're there. Uh, That's what they do. And you start looking at the power that these guys wield, the physical power. And, uh, you know, they control all kinds of, you know, energy spectra, like, you know, electromagnetism, radio, you know, particle beams, everything. And you start looking at the scope of their ability to produce disasters. It uh, really has me wondering about some things.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's I'm right. Like, that's right up Luke's alley. Yeah,
4: there. you, you yeah. cross <laughs> into my territory there, Luke. While we're uh, while we're getting ready for this next show that uh, that you're going to persuade Adam to to get me on, you know, sometime in the next couple months.
2: Right, uh, shouldn't be a Have problem. you
4: done any Have you done any research on Fukushima? Uh,
2: no, I haven't. Uh, but as, as far as the, what you were just talking about, though, geoengineering and uh, er, earthquake devices, yes,
4: yeah, yeah, that's a that's a heavy story, and uh, I haven't, you know, I'm not, not near the bottom of it, but it's worth it's worth some digging and some research. Okay. Yeah.
2: will do. Do <laughs> you think you want
3: to add, Luke? Or... Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, you you were talking a, a minute ago about the policemen and um and their role and everything and and I've mm-hmm. got I got several friends who became cops and they're going into it uh with a good heart and mm-hmm. they want they want to genuinely clean up the streets from all of these things that are ruining people's lives like the the harder drugs you know like right. the synthetics and stuff and and uh you know they're they're being pressured by their authorities to do something different, and eventually they get discouraged, and then they just become the uh, what they what they set out to do becomes completely diluted into mm-hmm. something else, you know. And um, <clears throat> as far as just like looking out for your neighbor and stuff like that, you can you can look at someone who's like less fortunate than you, or raised a different way, or you know raised completely wrong, and making all these terrible decisions for themselves, unhealthy, just destroying their mind and body, and and instead of you know making fun and and trying to raise yourself above them, we should be helping them.
4: I absolutely agree. You know, there's a to me there is a there is a real role for uh, for for policemen, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, you know some of my libertarian friends don't think we should you know have police or something or we should have private police. I yeah. strongly disagree with that. There's a there's a real role for them to play in terms of helping a community, you know, take care of itself, to uh, to protect itself from its own problems, uh, you know, things like petty thievery and uh, and so forth. But it needs to be it needs to be handled by people who know each other and by people, you know, of goodwill, and it cannot be. We can't pass the control to strangers who who do not have our best interests at heart. When you have these guys who have quotas, you know they got to write so many tickets, they gotta yeah. they gotta fill up the jails, you know, so that these private corporations can run the jails at a profit and all that right. kind of stuff. Man, we got a serious problem.
3: Yeah, we sure do, especially with the private. Uh jail thing that's yeah. that's that to me that's just yeah it, it really right. is a serious problem
4: that yeah that's a problem that's
3: just gonna happen with people uh having to fill a quota of how many people you can put into jail uh, yeah this is the complete degradation of justice right. i i really think that you know we were uh, luke and i were talking about um uh, drugs uh, and the drug war before you know uh, we started the podcast tonight mm-hmm. and, and i really feel that uh, the way that it's done is that one arm of the government for lack of a better term even though i don't feel like that's the best term to use but for lack of a better term the government one arm brings the drugs in while another tries to force them out and enforce the enforce the the the, the draconian laws that we have
2: protects the distributors. Yeah,
3: and it and it and it acts as a, as just a, as just another means to just assert more and more control over the populace.
2: Narco-terrorism.
4: right? That is correct. And uh, you know, you know, the classic is to go back, you know, one hundred and eighty, hundred ninety years. <clears throat> and read up on the opium wars. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, that that's classic. Uh, how these uh, British families made their fortunes, uh, forcing dr- the sale of their drugs on the Chinese. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's how that, that's how they that's how they got wealthy, and that's how they got their titles and nobility. And it's like, man, this has been going on for a long time.
3: And and they were really no different from uh, someone like Pablo Escobar, right? In Colombia, you know, uh, when he made his money and he for his for his uh, town that he was in, he built churches, he built schools, he gave money to the poor. Uh-huh. What did those guys do when they brought after making money with the opium? Built churches, mm-hmm. built schools, gave money to the poor, <laughs> had <laughs> statues of themselves. That was probably the only difference. So, yeah, it's just a, a matter of, of 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 who wins and who gets to write the history, right? Well, Robert, uh, we're almost out of time,
4: but uh, I really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, well, thank you for inviting me. It's a it's a lot of fun and uh, and pleasure, and it's a kind of a reminder of some times that we had with uh, Doc Future. That's right. That's a good thing. Yeah.
3: We'll have to get together soon. Or maybe I'll bring Luke with me. <laughs> I'm down. Oh yeah,
4: yeah. Luke, look forward to talking to you.
2: You Absolutely. too. It, yeah, it's been a great show. Well, we're yeah. gonna
3: help, we're gonna finish out here and uh, just stay on the line for us, Robert. And uh, okay, Luke, if you got nothing to add, we're gonna call it and uh, we'll be back. Let's do it. All right, we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal.
4: Wait! You work.
3: One, two, All right, that's some nice flow there, Luke.
0: That
4: was
3: awful. Anyway, uh
2: so, what do you think of Robert Hyde? Uh he's awesome. Uh just like I said I was telling you uh when we stopped the the last recording he, he gave us the chance to yeah, uh, give him some feedback and everything and it was it was way more conversational and i like that liked it, huh? yeah i like that not nothing against the the previous guests or anything but just the fact that we were able to put in uh you know our our two cents on everything too was pretty cool
3: sure yeah it was a, it was a it was a great give and take i yeah. thought yeah and uh we'll we'll, as, we'll definitely have him back on uh I definitely want to Want to pick his brain about uh, UFOs and get him to talk about his supernatural experiences. So, uh,
2: have you already kind of heard a little precursor? Uh,
3: some, okay. but not uh, not too much. Uh, so, uh, more of a talk with Robert about politics and uh, about kind of religion. Kind of what we what we what we talked about tonight yeah. is more of what you know we we've, we've spoken about before but uh i was I was happy to have him on thought he was a great guest for the end mm-hmm. end of the year uh you know he's he's of that same crowd uh which you know dr future uh Tom Bonick, who's also been on our show uh, you know Andrew Hoffman, who's been on our show uh, those guys have just you know I've just thought in so many different ways about. You know, religion, spirituality. Yeah, uh, that there's a there's a whole lot more to than just what we see on the surface. Right. You know. Yeah. So.
2: And. Uh, you're saying basically like encourages you to think to to multiple levels rather than just seeing yeah, yeah what's on surface level yeah yeah to,
3: yeah to to think yeah. about what you really exactly. just critical and think and about that, what and that's what doing.
2: I that's what I really got from it too because I was telling you. Um, Throughout the course of the show, I kind of started out to have more resentment toward Christianity and the Bible. You know, over the course of, uh, of all of our shows, like it's starting to be more of like a point of interest for me.
3: Yeah,
2: you know, and, and the Bible uh, has a lot of historical facts. It seems, and when and when, yeah, it's, when it's backed ideas. up. There's a lot of history in it. Yeah, and when it's backed up by, uh, you know, the text from surrounding cultures and stuff like that, it just gives it even more relevance. and.
3: Right. Yeah, I think, you know, as you as you delve into it, uh, it, it becomes a lot more interesting. And I, I think even if you're not a Christian... There's still uh, art, something to be gained from yeah, it. Yeah, there's still something there to be gained. Yeah. Right. yeah from it there's a lot of there's a lot of wisdom, not you know just discounting it completely right is just as closed minded as the people that discount you know other ideas right so i I think that's something we covered in uh, tonight about kind of how the church is uh really reluctant to talk about spirituality mm-hmm. um which as I said before, is is odd to me. Uh, but I can kind of understand it from a you know a historical point of view of how that development has taken place. But you know, okay, I just wanted to kind of you know a little bit before we go. Uh, you know, we've we've had nineteen. This will be show number nineteen. Mm-hmm. We've had, I believe. We see. we have a couple of shows without a guest? So we've had 17 guests, and I just you know, wanted to ask you. You know, uh, just what uh, what guest kind of or you know what idea kind of stood out to you?
2: Well, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be able to remember names.
3: Okay. No problem. <laughs> if you if you tell me what you, you know, I'll probably tell you who it was. So. Yeah.
2: Um. And we we've already kind of had a review. At one of our earlier shows, you know, episode five, six, something like that, we started reviewing the previous guests. And yeah. I guess we will go all the way back to the beginning and uh, the things that Dr. Future was talking about and how I mentioned earlier, he got me into the ayahuasca stuff. And I right. started researching that even though he discouraged it. and But he was talking about specifically the enzyme that uh, uh, blocked you from essentially, yeah. you know, going too far in, into your mind going to getting too introverted he was talking about the enzyme that, that blocked that in your system even even knew like the abbreviation for it and stuff and and that from him and then uh the guy that was talking about that story where the guy was praying to idols or whatever in his attic and trying to make it come to life i thought that was was really cool because i believe in the in the power of thought to uh, create living things i think that might have been david weatherly but the
3: Tulpas I believe Yeah 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 okay, Tulpas no, yeah. that yeah, That's David what they were Wimbley, called Yeah yeah
2: Which we were talking about yeah. The black eyed kids Right And from him And, and uh, from Prime I always I always love to hear uh, People's Voyages in the mind and stuff that's really interesting yeah. and uh w- we kind
3: of get to hear that every day but. yeah
2: and and when <laughs> someone talks about either visions or dreams, it gives you real introspective into their their personality and stuff. It's real personal sometimes for, right. for to hear someone's dreams or visions right, so that's pretty cool to me um let's see yeah and then then my brother of course like we we talk we we talk like every every time we're together we talk about something like that or just what's current and he's really big on fugazi right now and he know he's been researching stuff about that and um yeah and then uh after him uh the two that we had on about the hauntings it, it i love you know my favorite part is hearing about apparitions yeah, yeah, you really <laughs> I like like get, yeah. I like to get yeah. I like to get straight down to the apparitions and start talking about that and the experiences. And uh, through all three, yeah, no four four guests talk focus in mainly on the paranormal. We had
3: Tim Yancey, yeah. we had Bill Bean. They were the ones that were mostly about uh, uh, violent hauntings. David Weatherly yeah. about the uh, Black Eyed Kids, right? Uh, let's see who else. What is the, would it have been
4: hm
2: and w- with the exception of the the uh, black eyed children episode uh all of those suggested to me that you had to have some type of um some type of shocking event traumatic event in your childhood for you to be able to uh experience things as apparitions and stuff like that you know i think that every everybody will have the uh potential to experience something yeah. like that but i it, it's all it's all was heightened and elevated by their uh traumatic childhoods
3: yeah it was more kind of like with uh what tim Yancey was talking about uh with um that people come in to a to an environment and their lives are already in a state of turmoil mm-hmm. so that kicks things up right inside the, in, yeah, the inside the, the, the negative house.
2: the negative swell of energy it right. attracts more demons and Right. Such. and uh, yeah and after them uh you Adam go rightlys oh, yeah. two visits you know <laughs> I, you know I love that and uh it is yeah, a definitely. lot of information about uh, Charles Manson and Montauk and I didn't really ever know much about Montauk I just had an idea of what was going on there and that's that's it you know so he uh he kind of gave light to those and uh, your, your most recent guest before this one, Scotty Roberts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. talking talking about the uh, Bible and relationships in Egyptian.
3: What was so weird and so how we didn't we didn't plan that with uh, Scotty Roberts you know we talked about the whole 33rd degree parallel thing yeah with, and then the next adam day Go-Reilly, he mentions it and then yeah. the next show yeah the next show he talks about the 33rd degree parallel just mentions it completely out, out of the blue. Blur. yeah and oh and the funny story you were there with me when this happened uh we were going to lunch the next day after we talked to adam uh, not adam gorelly but scotty scotty roberts and uh I was pull. We were pulling around where the Burger King was on the road, and there's a fire truck sitting there in the park in the parking lot. It Said engine number 33.
2: Yeah, but and then we <laughs> started discussing how how you were only noticing 33 yeah. now because it was on your mind. It's like that movie, right. 23.
3: Right. I don't know if you ever watched that before. Uh, yeah, the number 23. Yeah. Yeah, it's a synchronicity thing. Yeah. I'd, I'd say probably. Uh, you know, I, I'm not really gonna sit here and say that I have like a favorite guest. Because I think that they all bring something to the table. right? Uh, I think that I've tried to, with the show, over the last uh, year, or almost a year, we started in March. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've tried to have that kind of balance between uh, the supernatural stuff... And the conspiracy stuff, but I kind of feel like we haven't talked a lot about the conspiracy stuff as much as the supernatural. It's kind of more right, geared yeah. towards
2: it slightly. I don't know. Yeah. You, you do talk a lot of politics. I don't know if you, yeah. you realize true. it, but it, it it happens a lot.
3: It's true, and and also too, you know, uh, I've I've had on, uh, you know, we've had on guests that are coming more from like kind of the alternative Christian world. And then we've had, you know, just kind of guests that I guess neutral, come from yeah. Yeah, our neutral or, or the kind of the, the yeah. new age kind of yeah. stuff. That's good. And, and I want to get more of that uh, uh, next time. Uh, we should be having on our actually first female guest, who is also a haunting survivor, and we've talked about her many times. Because, but she just had so many bad luck trying to get her on. And just several things had happened. Right. Yeah, and yeah. then we had a board explosion. And so, you know, so we'll, we'll probably have her on next, you know, cross your fingers. A board uh, explosion? Is yeah, that what a happened? A board Adam?
2: explosion. He was just tweaking knobs over here and just. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I want to thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, no problem, And dude. Uh, we'll be gone for three weeks. We enjoy the holidays. But uh, you know we'll be back in January. And
2: everybody should also know that Adam feeds me dinner every time I come that's over.
3: That's right. Here. He gets the he gets the <laughs> cat, he gets the cat food spaghetti. As he
2: calls it. <laughs> it only smells like cat food when he heats it up at work. <laughs> All right, man.
3: Well, you gotta get me. You gotta get some more girls listening to the show. Okay. Yeah, we need we, we need get, more of a female presence. Yeah, we gotta get like the some haunted hotties, could cons- 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 normalettes or, <laughs> or whatever.
2: <laughs> hey, I could I could do that, man. I just let me get some money saved up.
3: All right. Well, let's call it, man. Word up, and uh, I wanna thank everybody for listening, and uh, we'll be back uh, in twenty thirteen if the Mayans yeah. let us.
2: If if we're all not living in caves and like That's killing right. sheep and stuff to survive,
3: we can still do like uh, we can still do like the show like Morse Code or something. <laughs> all right, man. Well, take us out like
2: I guess with more beatbox. We didn't really plan that.
3: All right, join us next time on <laughs> Conspiranormal. Normal. <laughs> Und zoom, zoom, boom, und zoom, boom, und
2: zoom,